morning and it's been a year and a half since I quit my job in the marketplace to come be here full time. You know, and honestly, I come in here um, and there are days when you sit in the prayer room and you're like, why am I even here? There's nothing going on. I feel so dry. Um, this week, I earlier this week, I had a hard time going to bed, and so I came here because we have a night watch, and so I was here for nearly all day, most days. And I leaned over to Joy one morning, and I was like, what is Jesus doing to me? Why am I here? If he's going to call me to be here, he might as well like drop a spirit of intercession on me or something. But instead, I'm just sitting here going, <laughs> you know, um, and then there are other days when, when you come in here and you get what we just got. And I don't know about you, but I swore to myself today I was not going to mess up my makeup. But I couldn't help it because Peyton was that good, you know. Um, and the days where you come in and you're like, Jesus, I love you. You know, and it comes out of nowhere. You're pacing, you're praying, average words, kind of dry and mundane. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes you're like, Lord, I love you. I love you. I love you so much. And it doesn't matter that the first 10 hours of your days looked like nothing. But all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit hit your heart. And all of those hours and all of those months and all of those years suddenly became worth it. That's why I'm here. You know, and I can't believe that he chose me to be a part of his story. I had a friend one time that said, you know, May, you're kind of ruled by your emotions. I think that you should ask God about that. And so I did, because I like taking constructive criticism. And I talked to the Lord, and I was like, Lord, tell me a little bit about this reason why I'm like so emotional. I'm crying, I'm laughing, I'm crying. Um, and he said to me, May, you're like the Holy Spirit. I made you that way. I like your emotions. And so, of course, I went back to this guy and was like, hey, just so you know, <laughs> I checked with the Lord, and he says he likes me, and he made me like that. Um, so today, I might laugh, I might cry. I just wanted you guys to be prepared. Um, another friend of mine said to me, May, you don't have to be strong all the time. It's okay to be weak. Um, it doesn't make you any less a leader. And it's in those places of sharing your story that you share your heart. You know, and people are able to engage with you. And so that's really what I wanted to do today. Um, I've always loved a good story. I was the, the kid who would lock myself in the room and sing and act out scenes. And um, I just was the most attentive one in all of the story time moments. And in my times alone, I would play out, you know, um, just being the hero, playing the hero. We have all these stories of honor and valor, pursuit and conquest. And I realized that cartoons are not what they used to be, okay? I don't understand them anymore. I don't know about you guys. Um, but then as teenagers and adults, we have people around us who begin to tell us that all of those are just, they're just fairy tales. They're just myths. That's not true. That we can't count on light to overtake the darkness in every situation. Who says? They just haven't seen the light. You know, he's a man. We're living in a story and it's no myth, but it sure is a mystery. Um, Henry Nowen says, we aren't simply dropped down in creation and have to entertain ourselves until we die. We were sent into the world by God, just as Jesus was. Jesus was sent to change the course of history. And just as he is, so are we in the earth. I think that sometimes we forget that we're part of this grand story with ballrooms and dragons and serpents. 
You know, if we modernize it a little bit with political and economical meltdowns, you know, there's still serpents and dragons, governments and kingdoms fighting against each other. You know, we don't always see that it's still happening today. In every story, there's a hero and a heroine, a slew of enemies and antagonists. But the story, when it's told right, it always has a happy ending. That's true. Because so many stories are limited by time. We don't see, we don't generally get to see the days when it's hard or what the prince and princess have to do to keep that happily ever after. We were created to be the main, the main characters in this story. We were created to battle, but also to win. You know, so as we're beginning to see the earth shake and tremble and the pressures mounting, you know, it's, it's not for us to fear, guys. And I just want you to know, I think that we get hung up, you know, forgetting our roles and forgetting our scripts. We're not playing small parts, but we're the main cast of characters in this unfolding story. The prophets of old long to live in these days, and we're privileged to sit in this time right now. So today I wanted to talk about some of the hangups that we get into. Call it whatever you will, trials, afflictions, testing, persecution. Um, today I've, I've typed up all of my scriptures, but you can turn, if you want, to Hebrews 12, 26, 27. And it says, he promised us, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. And even though we know this in our minds, many are gripped with fear in this hour. You don't even have to be real discerning to, to know that there's a shaking going on, right? We see it all over in the news. You know, the Lord said he was going to shake everything that could be shaken, that he was going to remove every false idol and every unclean place. He was going to remove every crutch that we've been leaning on over the years until all that remained is him. And whether it's war between countries or having a boss that's unfair to you, something that the Lord's always promised us is that affliction would come. Turn into um, Psalm 34. Verse 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. That's the promise. And I don't know about you guys, but I was looking at my, um, my Bible, and the, t- the title of my chapter is the happiness of those who trust in God. I think that was, that was pretty good. And here David talks about, he's like, he says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. The poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. And then in verse 10, but those who seek the Lord shall lack no good thing. In 17, the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. How many times do we need the Lord to tell us that he's made provision for all of those hard places? He's guaranteeing us that those hard times are going to come, but that he's going to be the one who delivers us out of all of those places, out of all of the struggles, all of the strife. It's the promise that he's made to us, and he's not a liar. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, 
while we do not look at the things which are, uns- which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Some of us are so focused at the circumstances around us and so focused at the rot in our lives that we forget the other part. That there's a greater glory coming. That the glory is coming to overtake us in this time. We're so focused on these circumstances and we forget that he said, but for a moment, that it's momentary. And if we could just pull ourselves out of this blip in time and look at it from an eternal perspective and see the timeline of God, then we'd see that this moment is nothing compared to the glory which is coming. There's a whole eternity of awesomeness that's coming for us. But we're so stuck in this moment of tragic despairing. And I don't know about you, none of us have experienced persecution quite yet. I think we think we have, you know, we, we cry and we have our pity parties. But the truth is none of us have known persecution like most of the world has. And so this is really what I want to talk to you about today, is that what happens when the trials come and you've lost your footing? You know, many get stuck in places of offense. And how do you know? How do you know if you're in a place of offense? And I was thinking about this today, and I thought about all the times when I've been offended at people or at God and what that looked like in my own heart. And here are the things that I came up with, and this is just a short list. (laughs) Unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, self-preservation, being walled up, an inability to trust, accusation, revenge, control, murder, confusion, disappointment, deception, lack of intimacy, not being able to hear God. And I'm not saying if you see any of these fruits in your heart that you're like definitely in offense, but if you're like, I have all of these things happening in me and I don't know what's going on, it might be that you're offended. Luke 17.1 says it's impossible that no offenses should come. In Acts 24, Paul talks about striving to have a conscience that's clear of offense towards God and man. And what does it look like being offended at others? You know, um, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's been um, accused and persecuted and, you know, um, just ravaged in ways by people. And there was a period of about six years where I felt like I always had one or two people, and sometimes more, that literally it seemed that they always had a thing or two to say about me. And whether it was to, it was rarely that they talked to me about me, it was almost always that they talked to somebody else and lots of people about me, about what I was doing. Um, always had at least one or two, I'm not kidding you. And they were pretty obvious about it, you know, and it was it started with false accusations and sometimes it was just not including me in things or sabotaging my relationships, bringing me for my leaders. Um, and when that happened, Tracy was like, May, it's just because you're dynamic. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> really? This is what I get? You know, so whatever you can think of, the whole gamut of things that people can do to one another um, happened to me. I mean, there were accusations that were made against me that I was like, I wasn't even there. (laughs) Okay, all right, awesome. Um, And there were some girls that I was mentoring in that time, and I tried really, really hard to really protect them from um, hearing any of my stuff, you know, because I wanted to honor, I wanted to cover over people um, that, that were doing these things. And one of my girls said to me, um, they're all seers and really discerning. So whether or not you said anything to them, they could feel you, you know? And so it was always a struggle to be like, I'm okay. And they're like, no, you're not. 
all right, I'm not, but leave me alone. I'm not telling you anything. Uh, but one of my girls said to me, May, when are they going to stop opposing you? And then I had another one of the girls that I mentor say, May, I've been watching you for years now, and why is it that you always get the short end of the stick in love and relationships? Why is it that you always take the hit? I don't think it's right. And I told her, and the good news is the Lord always prepares your words for you. you know? So in those moments, I happen to be mature. And I'm not mature every day, but in those moments, it was just the right timing for me. And I said to her, I was like, you know, love goes low. <laughs> and love takes a hit. And love keeps no record of wrongs. Love hopes all things, endures all things, believe, believes all things. And I said, you know, in those moments when I'm being rejected, or mistreated, or abandoned, what I like to do for myself is I like to think that I'm partnering in the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus, and that there's a reward to that. Philippians 3 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And it's in those places of trial and in those places where relationships are hard that we have the opportunity then to partner with God in what he experienced at that cross. By the very ones that he loved, he was rejected. And I can say for myself, whether the relationship was an acquaintance or a friend or a deep friend in my heart, I've experienced all of that where I've been abandoned and I've experienced loss. But in that moment, you have a choice to either take flight or to fight for love. And I'm not saying that every day I chose to fight for love. Because there are days when I'm like, I'm leaving, I'm out of here. And the Lord said to me, May, you can leave if you're not in unforgiveness, you don't have bitterness in your heart like this person. Da, da, da. And I just felt like, I was like, ah, oh, shoot, I'm stuck. Um, and really, my, I had friends who were mad at me outside of the communities that I was living in who were mad at me because they're like, May, why are you letting people abuse you? I'm like, I'm not. The Lord said I have to love these people, and I have to do this. And so what I'm finding over the years is I'm finding that more and more people have a tendency to walk away from those difficult situations. We don't want to confront. We don't want to have those hard conversations. People we've loved and held great affection for, um, one day they hurt our feelings. And suddenly, you know, we find a million things a million reasons why they're wrong and they've got all these character flaws and surely I don't have to be friends with them. This is, this is the Lord giving me a way out. I think the Lord has released me from this relationship. And we move on. Divorce doesn't just happen in marriages. It happens in friendship and in other covenantal relationships. The truth is people are going to fail us, whether because they're immature or we've set unfair expectations towards them. We can't come into any church or business or family and expect perfection. And just because we don't find what we're looking for, this is not the license for us to give up or walk away. The room is kind of tense. There's a depth in relationship that if we really look inside of ourselves, it's what we desire but we can only get to when we brave the stormy seasons and make a decision to love beyond the conflict. Love is a choice, it's a decision, and it's not a feeling. We were meant to make friends and keep them. Um, one of my favorite 
stories. I had two stories that actually held me through these six years of, it was pretty bad. Um, I felt like I couldn't catch a break. It was one thing after another, one person after another, one accusation after another, and it's these two stories that got me through. Um, Graham Cook said, he, he tells a story about the three stooges, and it's, he says that there are these three guys that were following him to every conference, every place that he would ever speak. They would show up, and they would sit in the front row, and they'd be taking notes about all the things that he was saying and what he was saying wrong and what didn't make sense, and he was, they were going and posting things on their website and in newsletters. They would come to his conference with signs that said, false prophet, <laughs> don't listen to him. Um, and he was like so irritated with them. They, they were always there. And so one day he was sitting, um, actually it was a dream. He had a dream. And in the dream, he was sitting on the Lord's lap. And this is how he said it. I was, I was so envious of him. He said, in the dream, I was sitting with the Lord and I had my legs draped over his legs and my arm around his shoulder and my head up against his head. And we were just talking, me and, me and God. And I was like, oh, I want that dream. Um, and as he's sitting there and they're just talking about life and the Lord was like, you want me to show you something? And he's like, yeah. And so the Lord has an angel start to wheel out this big marble structure. And the Lord was like, you want to see how it's made? And he was like, yeah. And so he sees Jesus enter the scene, and Jesus goes and with his finger traces this structure. And then three sets of hands appears and starts chiseling and sculpting and just really working this structure. And Graham is like, that's beautiful. And the Lord's like, you know what? They'll work a little bit harder if you encourage them. And Graham was like, okay, I bless those elbows to work harder and words like that. They were just like, I bless you. Yeah, you can do it. And the Lord was like, a little bit more passion. Those weren't his words, but something like that. A little more passion. And Graham is like really getting into it. He's like, I bless you. You can do it. You're so awesome. And then he says at the end of this dream, he's like standing on the arm of God's throne, his hand on the top of his head, and he's leaning over shouting, and all of heaven is in pandemonium. The angels are laughing. And like he said, he said that there was this one angel that was on the floor rolling, dying of laughter. I was like, are you kidding me? And the Lord it was like, so what do you think? And he just started, Graham started crying. And he was like, it's so beautiful. And he was just so astonished by the work, you know, that had gone into this. And the Lord said to him, do you want to know what it is? That's you. That's how I feel about you. You know, and he said, um, that's what I'm making you into. And God said to him, would you like to thank the sculptors? And Graham was like, yeah, of course. And he's crying. And, um, and then the Lord shows him, it's the three stooges. And he like wakes up yelling from his dream, scares his wife. And he's like, you only it. It's the three stooges. The three. <laughs> now I understand what the Lord was doing and why they were in my life. The Lord was using these people who he felt were like the thorn in his side to refine him and to make him into what God had for him to be. You know, so I think that when we realize this and we can take an eternal perspective, even on this, we can really embrace and bless our enemies. Don't you think so? I do. All of those years, and Rick Joyner said this, and I remember, he, he said that one day he was watching the television and some guy who was also a minister was like just you know, saying all these negative things about him. And he's like, Lord, are you gonna, what are you going to do about this? Are you going to get rid of this person? And the Lord said to him, sure, what three people would you like me to replace them with? 
<laughs> and he was like, no, never mind. Um, and those two stories actually are the reason why I never said, Lord, please get rid of this person in my life. But instead I was like, Lord, what do I need to learn and how can I love this person? <laughs> you know, in all those years when things were happening, I said to the Lord, I, you know, and I realized the enemy of my, of my soul is not my brother. If they love Jesus and they're professing Christ, then they are not my enemy. And I'm not going to treat them as such. I'm not going to judge them, be prejudiced towards them, or allow the enemy to create a divide in my heart towards somebody who is one with me. The other part is uh, being offended at God. And I don't know what that looks like for you. You know, it might be that someone you loved um, passed away. It might be that you lost a relationship or you can't seem to feed your family. You're living paycheck to paycheck. I don't know what it was for you, but for me, it was that the Lord, you know, and I said this last time, he gave me all of these promises, and I thought that surely by now I'd be in them or somewhere close. You know, I have 70, like seven pages of prophetic words, guys, in a binder that I'm like, okay, God, any day now, <laughs> you can do these things. Matthew was saying to me, he's like, May, what do you, what, what's going on? And I was like, you know, do you want a prophetic word? I was like, no, God, I, got, I have plenty of prophetic words. What I need now is for these things to happen. You know, I've got plenty, and it, it's not true, I guess. Some of you know that um, at parties and stuff, I tend to come up to people and like, okay, prophesy. Because <laughs> I'm collecting, still collecting prophetic words. Um, so for me, it was that I had like 70 plus pages of prophetic words and dreams and things that the Lord had said to me, you know, 20 years ago and continue to confirm over the years, or things that he told me five years ago, and continue to confirm that I haven't seen yet happen. You know, and so most days you're just fine, but then you run into those days or weeks or maybe a stint of six months, which was me, <laughs> where you're like, you know, things aren't happening the way that they should happen, God, and I think I'm mad at you. And that's really what I said to him. I said, Lord, I'm mad. I'm really disappointed. You said all of these things, and I haven't seen them yet. What are you going to do? I spent a whole night, one night, just saying, I'm so disappointed at you. I'm so disappointed at you. You said, but I'm so disappointed at you. And I cried all night, and then I BibleGateway.com um, and searched all the words on hope, and I was saying all these, just reading out these scriptures, and at the end of it, I was like, I still don't feel anything. <laughs> I still don't feel hope, but I know that you said hope doesn't disappoint, and so I'm clinging to what little hope I have. Um, and there are moments, you know, where my prayer to the Lord was, Lord, don't let me grow bitter in service. and Don't let my love grow cold. And I told him, God, I believe you. I mean, I have a small part that still believes you, and I need you to come and help me in those places of unbelief. So here, for me, it was an opportunity to either be like Abraham and Sarah and hope against hope, believing for the fulfillment of God's promise for me or to get jaded and disillusioned and accuse God. And I didn't do it perfectly. I told Tracy, I was like, I pretty much laid down and let the enemy kick me for a while until I could stand up again, and then I, and then I got it. <laughs> but it took a while. Um, the Lord, he, he saw the little yes in my heart, you know, and then he took care of me. Um, so I know that we can talk about some of the things that are happening um, but for me, I always want to know what, what's the process? What can we do? What does it look like practically? And so I just wanted to share part of my process with you. You know, with people, um, with the people that hurt my feelings, who some of them 
I just think that they just weren't being honest with themselves. You know, they had insecurities and fears and past wounds. And so then it translated into them just kind of attacking me, you know. Um, and for those people, it was hard. You know, you want to bless your enemies, but it's kind of like, God bless that person. <laughs> I remember saying to the Lord with this one person in particular, the Lord was like, pray for her. And I was like, no. And I was like, okay. And so then I started praying for this girl. I was like, Lord, bless so-and-so. Lord, bless so-and-so. And then I said to him, I was like, Lord, why are you making me waste my breath? You know my prayers are really powerful, and I don't want to spend time praying for this girl. <laughs> and then after a couple minutes, I, I got it. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I really am going to pray for this person. Um, I had a friend of mine tell me, she said, May, you know, in these moments, um, when these things are happening, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know, what do you mean? And she's like, would you say that you're an intercessor? I was like, yeah. She said, would you say you're a watchman on the wall? I said, yeah. She's like, well, you're not not at fault. <laughs> she said, you need to take responsibility for this. If these things are happening in your community, then you're to blame too. She said, I think that you need to spend some time repenting and asking the Lord to forgive you. And forgive, you know, ask for forgiveness on behalf of your community. And so I, I did, and the Lord just broke in, and I spent so many months. I, can't, I, I think I remember a whole solid month of worshiping the Lord, playing the keys, singing, and then saying, Lord, I repent, I forgive, I bless, I release, I forgive. And I just chanted that over and over and over and over again until the thing became a reality in my heart. And when you start to pray for people, there are days when Tracy's like, well, May, are you praying for them? No. <laughs> Come on, if you guys are being honest, you guys can say you feel the same way. You're like, what? I don't want to pray blessings over this person who hates me. Um, but when you do, what happens is you see, how, you see them how the Lord sees them, and you see them beyond the yuck that's on the outside, and you can start to actually join with heaven in their prophetic destiny instead of joining with the enemy. Rick Joyner says you're either an accusation or an intercession. So I started to see these people like the Lord saw them. You know, and, and in prayer lines, there were times when I really could feel the Lord's heart for them and could really engage. And then, of course, you know, after that's over, then something happens and you're like, oh, thank you, Lord, for that one moment <laughs> where I really loved them. And sometimes people are malicious, but generally it's just insecurities and fears and past wounds. You know, so when you can look at a person like that, and say, it's not that they're trying to hurt me. I don't think so. I think most of the time they just don't know. You know, but it's, it's love that's going to break into that place in their heart and set them free. Um, one of the other practical things that we can do is, is have those hard conversations. You know, it takes time. Community is inconvenient. You know, death, de depth and intimacy and death. I think that was a prophetic slip right there. It is death, too. When you're loving the person and you're going in deep to those places, it's not fun. You have hours where you're like, well, when you said, and I felt, and you, this is how you feel, and this is what I think, and then nobody agrees, and you got to bring a third party, it's not fun. It takes time to love. But sometimes, 
Well, all the time it's worth it, and sometimes you get the reconciliation you're looking for. For me, a couple years ago, one of the girls that were, it was really hard for me for a couple years called me, and I was so surprised when I got that phone call. Actually, I didn't take it at first, and then I heard the voicemail, and I called her back, and she said, May the Lord give me a dream. And it didn't give me the details of the dream, but she said, the Holy Spirit convicted my heart. And I realized that all of these years, I've really mistreated you. Um, she was a leader in the group. And so she had the, abil- like, she had the ability to make decisions that affected me. Um, and she said to me, I'm really sorry. There are just some friendships that, w- that you know, were kind of important to me. And, and I wanted to protect. And, and I, I felt like you were a threat to those relationships. And I told her, I was like, you know, I'm... I'm okay. Um, thank you. You know, I think that we could have gotten through it faster if we would have been willing to sit through. Because I had talked to this person a couple of times, once a year. I was like, hey, something's going on between us. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Do you think we can work through this? And she would say to me, "May, there's nothing in me that doesn't like you. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, so I was like, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I tried. Um, and whether or not we ever get to that point where we're, we're on the same level, love is always worth it. I was talking to um, someone here a little while ago, and we were talking about relationships, and I, I told her, I was like, it doesn't matter. I said, I've got 30 years of love is worth it proof. I have testimony after testimony after testimony of how the Lord came through in those moments and brought healing to relationships on both sides, Healings in our, healing in our hearts. And for the Lord, um. I think that the first step to that is just recognizing that you have an offense towards the Lord. You know, some of us, I think that we're not really willing to say that. God, I'm disappointed. Here's what you said. Here's what's happening. Here's what I'm not seeing. I think I'm mad at you. You know, but for me, it took me saying that and then saying, Lord, I repent for accusing you. I repent for thinking that I know better for my life than you do. You know, and then saying to him, so I have this pain in my heart. So I have this offense in my heart. And I'm willing for you to take it from me. You know, and the amazing thing for, for me is it happened really fast. When I finally recognized what I was going through and that it was, it was from the enemy, but it was also from the Lord. The Lord was poking and prodding and provoking in my heart so I could see what was inside of it so that he could bring healing to places in me that have been disappointed for a really long time. We tend to focus on what's wrong and what didn't go right. And so what if these trials and these afflictions and the delay is the very vehicle that the Lord is using to escort us into our destinies? What if this relationship and this community is the one that the refiner is using to put us through the fire so that we can emerge as gold? What if our responses really do determine our future? You know, and what if what you've asked for God, from God, requires first a deep work in your heart and a character to sustain it? And what if these trials and places of testing are used by God just to provoke us? And again, just so that we can see what's inside of us, not for condemnation, but for healing. You know, we've heard it said, with every testimony will come a test. And just like any good teacher, they train you and impart to you. And then they test you for proficiency. And then if you don't make it, they make you take the test again, don't they? Or they fail you, and then you got to take the whole class again. 
And who wants that? Not me. He comes with his kindness to make ready his daughter to become the bride. Misty Edwards puts it this way. She says, the story of creation is God the Father preparing a wedding for his son. You are at the center of that story. I was in one of those moments where I was making somebody prophesy over me. And he and I didn't realize, I didn't know if he would actually follow through or not. But he said to me, you're the Rose of Sharon. And I, I didn't know he was prophesying actually at first. And he talked about how the Shulamite says of herself, I am the Rose of Sharon. She recognizes, so for a while she thought that she was filthy, but all of a sudden she recognized the beauty that was in her, that the Lord had put inside of her, the beloved. It was in that place of feeling the love and the affection from the beloved that drew the Shulamite out where she could fully come into her destiny and come into her own. And that's what Father God is doing for us. That in his love and affection for us, he is preparing our heart and making us ready to receive his son. His love draws us out and makes us whole. Um, Turn to Zechariah 3. I think that a lot of times we remember Job, and we think that that it's going to be just like it was for Job. You know, Satan comes and like, I want to test this guy. Let's see what he's got inside of him. And then Jesus or God is like, sure, whatever, do whatever, just don't kill him. And we think that the Lord is doing the same thing to us. We're like, oh, I saw that one pattern, and I think that that's the way you might always do it. Um, but I was reading in Zechariah. I've, I was hearing Zechariah 3 everywhere um, this last week, and so I went to read it. And it says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing in his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And they go on and they put the turban on his head, was his representation of leadership. And then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will keep my command, Then you will also judge my house and likewise have charge of my courts. I will give you places to walk among these who stand here. And it goes on to say down in um, verse 9, And I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. So we see here the enemy is doing what he's been doing for thousands of years. He's been accusing the people of God. But instead of what happened to Job, the Lord stands up for Joshua, and says, no, you're not going to take him. I rebuke you. You know, and the enemy has been doing this to everyone, so don't feel like you've been getting the special treatment. I mean, there were days when I, it was so hard that I was like, surely I'm the only one being persecuted. That um, it's not true. And in addition to that, Joshua, it says he was clothed with filthy garments. So he was rightly accused. He was in sin. He didn't deserve to be, you know, taken out. Um, But the Lord takes from us our filthy garments and replaces them with robes, robes of righteousness. You know, this is a picture of that divine exchange. God takes from us our dirty garments and he gives to us robes of righteousness. And it's the same thing that Jesus did. He came and he took from us our sins and our iniquity and gave to us all that is him. It's so beautiful. And not only that, but he says, 
to Joshua, see, I have removed your iniquity from you. He wanted Joshua to see what he was doing. I'm giving this to you, free and clear. You're not worthy, but I'm making you worthy. And not only that, but if you do these things, then I will. If you do this, if you follow my commands, then I'm going to give you a place of leadership in the nations. I'm going to give you a place in the temple, and I'm going to cause you to walk among the angels, those who are standing here. That's a pretty good promise. We're a kingdom of worshipers have been given charge over the earth. And what I really love is the Lord said that he would do it in one day, and that he could, and that he would. So what's the point? Like, what's the point of all of this drama that we <laughs> go through? You know, we're living for eternal fruit, and the reward is proximity to Jesus. We're living for a reality beyond anything most of us have ever known or tasted. And this this earthly place here, it's the only place that we can choose Jesus in the way that we do. And once all of his glory is revealed, we won't, I mean, it's not going to be like, hmm, I think I'm going to worship Jesus today. It's going to be like, oh my God, I can't help it. <laughs> I'm going to worship Jesus. But this is the only place that I get to choose to love God in this way. Deuteronomy 33:26 says, there is no one like God who rides the heavens to help you. And in his excellencies on the clouds, the eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will save destroy. So we see again and again how the Lord has made provision for us. But he's looking for a bride who won't waver in the hour of trouble. Galatians 6, 9. This has always been one of my favorites. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. And in the message version, it says, So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will reap a harvest, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. And the Amplified says, And let us not lose heart and grow weary and faint in acting nobly and doing right, for in due time and at the appointed season we will reap if we do not loosen and relax our courage and faint. I don't faint, I win. That's really it. And the Lord said that he's made us more than conquerors, that the bride is going to be glorious without spot, without wrinkle in the day to come, and all the world is going to be watching. Go to any wedding, and the, it's, it pleases the bridegroom when his bride walks down the aisle, and all eyes are on her, it, doesn't it? He's like, look at my beloved one. She is so beautiful. He's going to want all of the inhabitants of the earth to have their eyes on the bride. So if we think that it's going to get really yucky and it's going to be hard, it's true. But the Lord's made provision for us to live a life where we're overcoming. So all the hosts of heaven are just going to have their eyes locked on this one as she walks down and receives his name and become one with him. In Revelations, there are all the verses on to him who overcomes. He's like, to him who overcomes, I'm going to give to eat from the tree of life. He'll not be hurt by the second death. To him who overcomes, I'll give power over the nations. And this is my favorite. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. That's really my goal. So if that's your goal, I'll get there first. 
but I'll give you a good chance to try to try to get there. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. And what are so what are our weapons? I'm just gonna go through it really quick um, and close. Aiden. Um, the Lord says in John 16:33, "These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world." So he's given us some weapons, and you know what? They're not always real tangible. But peace and hope and love and faith. Psalm 27, 13 says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's gratefulness of heart. You know, if you're complaining all day long, where do you think you're going to get? You're going to get what, you know, you're going to get what you're talking about. Um, the world is full of broken people. And wounded people tend to wound people. So we're not going to escape that. I'm sorry. But love. You know, these people are simply locked up, and they need somebody to go in there and love them beyond their sticky, dirty places to take them and tear them out of that trap that they've been in for so long. Guys, I've seen this happen. I've seen kids and teenagers who have been in homes where they didn't know love at all who have come in, and, and they were not so fun to be around. But when you decide that I'm going to love you and I'm going to declare your destiny over you, what you see is they become what you're declaring. So if you tell a child they're stupid and they're not going to make it, then that's what they're going to have to fight the rest of their lives. But if you sit here and you start telling them who they are, then they become the things that you're declaring because your words are powerful. And when we aren't seeing the fulfillment of our own dreams and we're in that place of hope deferred and our hearts are sick, it's easy to want to find someone to blame, even if it is God. You know, and these are just human places, and it's very natural. So don't kick yourself in the, in the rear for that. It just happens. Um, but be willing to go to those places of pain and just let the Lord come and wash over you. I had a friend. Um, I was having a pity party one day. Can you believe that? Um, I was having a pity party, and I was boohoo-hooing, and I was just frustrated again happens every so often. I come to this point of frustration, Lord, hello. And so I was having one of those days, and it was actually Jared um, who said to me, he's like, May, I, I can't remember all of those words, but basically he said, May, wh what happens if those things never happen? Are you going to be okay? What if you don't see those things take place in your life? He said, isn't Jesus really your reward anyway? Perspective, right? true. Jesus, you're my reward. So we're part of this elaborate story, and it sure isn't boring. Um, and it's filled with battles between light and darkness, you know, battles with ourselves. And it's all really organic and dependent on what we're doing and saying, and not doing and not saying. But regardless of the drama, we're guaranteed that the kingdom of light is going to overcome, and it already has. You know, so today, I just wanted to remind you that he has already overcome the world and that the only thing that's going to keep us from our destinies are these little foxes that spoil the vine. It's these things that we want to hang on to. I don't know why we do that. I think it's just we, we want to cling to those things sometimes that aren't good for us, but just let go. You know, so if, if today you feel like you can relate to this message and you're like, I've had offense in my heart or I still do. I'm offended at man or God or I find myself getting my feelings hurt all the time and I'm always mad at somebody. You don't have to raise your hand. But today.
today's your day to just let that go. You know, I think the first thing is just admit that, that there's an issue. I have an issue in my heart, and I need the Lord to take it. You know, so tonight or today, I just want to pray for you guys. Um, I feel like having just come through some of these places and, and having lived them for like seven years, um, I think the Lord's given me a level of authority over this. And so, Father, I just thank you that you are so faithful and that your love is everlasting. Jesus, I just pray over this body of people, even over those who aren't here today, God, and I ask, Father, that you would come. We just invite you, Jesus, to provoke our hearts, God, and show us what's inside. Lord, we want to be a part of that company of people that you say that it's going to be without spot and without wrinkle in the day of your return. So, Lord, would you just come right now and pour out your spirit and pour out your love, God. Lord, we can't fix ourselves. And all that you're asking from us today, God, is that we're willing. So I just pray, God, that you would give us hearts that are loyal to you and minds that are willing to change. Thank you, Lord, that no weapons formed against us will prosper. Any weapons of offense or division, just say the Lord rebuke you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for hearts that would be whole, that would be filled with life and filled with love. God, I thank you, Lord, that you are giving us grace, God. I just extend grace over this body of people. To love through the challenge, God. Jesus, you are Lord. And over all places in our hearts, you are Lord. I just declare that right now. you have if you have places in your heart that you feel like I just want to I just want to be done with this already and I just want to I just want to give up these places of offense I want to get an eternal perspective of what's happening and how the Lord is using these things these instruments to sharpen me and make me who he wants me to be you know you would just want to lay down some of the past wounds and past hurts I just invite you to come on up um, and the Lord he's going to minister to you